Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Uh, exciting things are happening at Encounter Church. Uh, again, I'm Jared, and I'm the lead pastor. It's so good to see all of you. We are beginning a new message series that I'm really excited for uh, all throughout the month of November. We're going to be in a message series called Essentials. And we're asking the question of what is the blueprint of a Christian life? What is the blueprint of a Christian life? Or what are the essential building blocks of a relationship with God? Um, because the reason I think this is important is because whether you've grown up in a church uh, before or maybe you just, maybe this is sort of your first time in a church environment, there are all sorts of things that people uh, think church is about or their faith is about, but maybe they're not really as important as we make them out to be. What are the things that really matter the most? And so that's what we're asking. What are the essential building blocks of a relationship with God? Maybe you have come from a, an environment where you never even heard about the concept of a relationship with God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later today, but what are those essentials of the Christian faith and why does it matter? I think that's really what we're getting into here today is why does it matter? So we're going to be covering some things over the next few weeks, and here are some of the topics. Number one is new identity. We're going to talk about that today. The following week will be something I'm calling 360-degree discipleship. The next week after that will be something we're calling HS Assist or Holy Spirit Assist, kind of like in a car. You know, you've got like parking assist. In this case, it's HS Assist. And then living for others. So we'll get to all that. But this week, we're going to start with the concept of new identity. One of the first essential building blocks of a life of relationship with God is a new identity. Several years ago, I was living in Cincinnati, Ohio, so this is like over 10 years ago. My wife and I were there, and I was out to lunch with a friend of mine who was a youth pastor. We were eating at Don Pablo's. Anybody remember Don Pablo's? There was one here in Pittsburgh, and it closed down, just like the sad place like Chi-Chi's and all these other places. Anyway, so I was out to lunch with him, and we were having a great conversation. And our server walks up to the table and begins to take our order, and I saw what appeared to be a baby bump on her stomach. And so I pick my head up and I go, oh, when are you due? And she looks at me and says, what? And in, in horror, absolute horror, I, I fumbled around with my words. I, I, um, uh, I, and I tried to say something like, I mean, you know, and I had nothing. And I just put my head down and just like started eating like chips and salsa. It was this terrible environment. And since that moment, I have learned you never, ever, ever, ever ask a woman if she's pregnant. Okay. Now, here's my question to you. Have you ever wished that you could be someone else? Have you ever wished that you could just stop being who you are in that moment? Or maybe, maybe you wish that you could go back and erase moments in your life that you're embarrassed by or mistakes that you've made or maybe make different choices. Maybe you're somebody in the room today and you're like, no, I wouldn't change anything because I understand. And maybe I think most of us understand this idea that, that the things that we've been through, the experiences that we've had, the mistakes have actually shaped us. Those experiences have shaped us and sometimes they've even made us stronger. But I would say this is that even though they make us stronger, that we still oftentimes will carry the emotions from those moments, 
the insecurities or consequences, maybe the labels that come on us because of our failures or our decisions or our mistakes or embarrassing moments. And maybe even sometimes we still carry the hurt that come from those types of things. So maybe we wouldn't go back and change them necessarily, but we still have the ramifications or the effects of those things. And oftentimes I think that we can feel like prisoners to our own past or to our own history or our, our own you know, life situations or our mistakes and held hostage to those things and held back by our perceptions of ourselves, you know, I think oftentimes we look back at our history or the decisions we've made, the experiences that we've had that have not been great, or maybe the labels or the perceptions that other people have put on us, and we can be held hostage to those situations. Well, I'm excited to tell you today that fortunately, God does not see people the same way that we do. God doesn't look at you or me and see us as the sum of our failures. And even though the people in our lives, maybe our friends or coworkers, family members, loved ones, ex-loved ones, it doesn't matter. Maybe even though they look at us and they see us as the sum of our, our failures, the sum of our, our embarrassments, or they, they put guilt or shame on us, all of those types of things, even though that they may see us that way, and even we might see ourselves that way, God does not. And so today we're going to be talking about the first essential building block of a relationship with God, and that is something called new identity. New identity. And this is one of my absolute favorite elements of the Christian faith. And it's not just one of my favorites. It's actually one of the most foundational. And if this is something that's new to you, if you have gone to church all your life and never heard that a relationship with Jesus Christ changes everything because you're made new and that your past is forgotten and you are no longer that person anymore, I have good news for you today. Buckle up because this message is going to be exciting for you. What I'm about to tell you is one of the most foundational pieces of our faith. And it will change the way that you see yourself and even the way that you change the way that you see other people if we begin to understand this idea of a new identity. Well, what do I mean by a new identity? Well, I have a question for you. Have you ever been caught in the rain and gotten soaked? Anybody ever had that situation? Or maybe you're out to lunch at work or somewhere and someone spills food all over you. Maybe you're, you're dressed nicely or it doesn't matter what you're wearing. And now you've got spaghetti sauce all down your shirt or a drink or something. Anybody ever had an experience like that? It's terrible, right? Fortunately, most of you guys have not, but I have. In fact, my poor grandmother had this happen at dinner one day. We were out as a whole family and we were at a restaurant and the server comes over to pour some iced tea and he spilled it somehow and the whole thing poured all down her. So she had to sit through the rest of the dinner completely soaked. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you got caught in the rain or a situation like that and you just can't go home, I'm stuck, right? The worst feeling is walking around with soggy socks in your shoes and the whole day, all you want to do is change, right? I, all I want to do is go home, but I'm at work and I'm stuck here and I don't have a change of clothes. So now I'm stuck wearing this awful shirt that has stains all over it, right? Now, if that happened to you and your mom or your dad came and saw you and they noticed that you're wearing this like wet, dingy, stained clothing and they said, hey, I've got some new clothes for you. I actually brought a pair of clothes for you, clean, dry, warm clothes, and they handed them to you. You know what you would do? I know what I would do. I would immediately change out of my dirty clothes, and I would put on these new, clean, dry, warm clothes, right? Every one of us would do that. 
Well, this is exactly what it's like when we say yes to Jesus. When we begin a relationship with Christ, the Bible actually says that we are a new creation, a new identity. And it says that the old is gone and a new has come. Check this out. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the people in Corinth, which is a city in Greece. And he's writing to them and he says this in verses 16 and 17. He says, from now on then, We do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even Jesus, he said, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, we no longer know him in this way. In other words, listen, now that you know Jesus, now that you have a relationship with him, you don't see things the way that everybody else does. The shame, the guilt, your decisions, your failures, your regrets. That's not who you are. That's not how you see people. It's not how God sees you. Why? Because it says this, therefore... Anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. It's like Jesus comes along and sees that you're soaking wet or that you're wearing stained clothes, and he says, I've got new clothes for you. Take them off. Put on these new ones. Be clean. It's beautiful. This is incredibly, incredibly good news. And that's why I told you it's one of my most favorite aspects of Christianity is because it's the only faith, the only religion that allows you to become new and to be a different person and not be held back by those things any longer. It literally changes the way that we see ourselves and the way that we can see other people. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to unpack this idea of new identity, this idea of being a new creation And so there is this beautiful passage of of Scripture. It's called a parable. If you don't know what a parable is, Jesus would, would talk to people in fictional stories that would illustrate a concept. So he would try to explain something to all of his followers, a concept about who he was or what the kingdom of God was like, and he would tell it in a story with pictures, and that that picture, that, that metaphor or analogy would help explain something. So Jesus is telling this beautiful parable about this very concept, and it illustrates the concept of new identity perfectly. I'd like to read it together and then pull some important elements and principles out that I think are going to matter to us today. So if you would, you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of free Bibles for you out at our Connection Center. Do not leave today without a free Bible. Also, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can open it up to the App Store or wherever you get apps and download the Bible app. Just type in the word Bible, and the first one that comes up is the best one, I promise you. It's millions of users around the world. Download it, and you can stay connected to the Word everywhere you go. It's also going to be here on the screen as well. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, we're going to read together this story. This is Jesus talking here. He said, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Well, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. So what happened at this point is the father says, the son says to the father, I want, I want out of this place. I want to do my own thing. So he gets the money that was given to him as a child of, of the king, of the, this man who owns it in the state. He takes his inheritance and he goes and he blows it. We don't know really on what. Could be on girls, could be on, you know, drugs. It could be on just gambling. It could be on just frivolous living, all sorts of stuff, right? And the worst thing happens, he runs out of money, a famine hits and he has absolutely nothing. He's hit rock bottom. 
okay? And it says in verse 14, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country. So he finds a job who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Why? Because one, there's a famine in the land, so nobody had any food extra to give. Two, because he was just poor and they didn't care. That's the way it was. At this point, you're a slave, you're a servant. You are not, you're not, it looks like a hired hand, but he was not. He was essentially allowed to, to work for a little bit, but apparently it was not enough. He couldn't gather enough money to be able to take care of himself. He is in absolute poverty. He has hit rock bottom. No one would give him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. You know what I'll do? I will get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He's prepared this speech, right? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. That's his plan. So he got up and he went to his father. But... While the sun was still a long way off, let's just pause there for a second because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. While the sun was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. And then the son prepares his speech. <clears throat> father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father, in this moment, just like as if he didn't even hear it, just completely waves that off. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf, the one that we've been keeping for years for the special occasion, and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. So they began to celebrate. This is a beautiful moment of a son coming home, willing to submit himself to slavery just so he could be back at home, right? And the father throws a party. The father has this moment with him. Now, this is interesting. Check this out in verse 25. Now, his older son, older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He's like, what the heck is going on in there? So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. And the guy says, your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf. And because he's back, safe and sound. Great, right? Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. This is interesting because this is sometimes what happens when we, when we find forgiveness and we find grace. We either do it to ourselves or other people. If you've ever found yourself in a place where someone has found healing and restoration in Jesus, and then you're like, but you are a vile person. I've thought about individuals like serial killers who have heard stories of them who on death row, they found the Lord. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea of the things that they did, and yet now they get to, to receive forgiveness but this is what we see in Scripture, and this is what the son is. The son is missing the point. The son is angry because he was at home, and he's, he's hanging out, and he's been doing, he's been faithful, and he's been working. But then a lost one comes home, and he's forgiven, and so he's upset. And listen to what the father says to him. He became angry, so his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been sitting here slaving 
For many years for you and I have come, I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you gave me a, you've never given me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. In other words, he's jealous that this fattened calf, this thing over here, it's like he feels like his brother has disrespected him and disrespected the family and his father. He says, you've never given me any of that so I could party with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets, he's taken everything and just taken it away with prostitutes, you slaughtered the calf for him? Verse 31, son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We have to rejoice because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. I love this passage of scripture because Jesus is telling this story to disciples, to people who weren't followers of him yet, trying to explain how God sees people. And you might have come from a background in your life where you're thinking, you think of God as maybe someone who's just about to drop the hammer on your life at any moment. Perhaps you have come from a church environment or, or any kind of a situation, maybe on the news, or all you've ever seen of faith in God or a relationship with Jesus or any concept of who he is, is that he's judgmental, that he's angry, that he's constantly waiting to just smite you and wipe you off the planet. That is not the picture of God that we see in Scripture. No, Jesus is painting a picture of a father who is looking for his son every day. After the work is done, I have this image of, of the father sitting on his porch, waiting, wondering, where is my son? Where is he? Where is my son? I love him, and I wish he would just come home. And we see just that thing happen. We see that happen. That It says, while he was still a ways off, the father is doing who knows what, and he sees his son, and he runs to him. It's this beautiful moment of what we see of who God is that he loves, even though he wasted his money, even though he slandered his name. The father's reputation has probably been soiled at this point because of his son in another country. All of those things, none of it mattered. None of it mattered. So this concept of new identity, new creation, is found all throughout that parable. And I want to talk about a few principles so that we can unpack this today. Number one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first principle of new identity is this, is that we were created to be in relationship with God. We were designed that way. In the story, we see it. The story begins with the father on his estate with his sons, and they're all working and they're doing their thing. They're in relationship, talking to each other, working together. This is the picture that the story starts with, and it's actually all found throughout Scripture. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve are walking in the garden, talking to God on a regular basis, hearing from him, having just so we don't know exactly what that looked like, but that's the picture is that God is intimately involved and knowable. And we're trying to reflect that here at our church, encounter God in real life. We, we believe that now because of Jesus, it's restored. We have the ability to speak to God and talk to him and hear from him and know what he says about us and he encourages and all those types of things. But it doesn't just start in Genesis. It's all throughout the Old Testament with the people of Israel. We see that, that the Israelites had a relationship with God where God was with them all the time, communicating with them, interacting with them. And then we see that through the New Testament. We see the Holy Spirit is designed to, to, to live within each one of us. The Bible says that when you begin a relationship with Jesus, that the Spirit of God restores our soul and allows us to communicate back with God again. So we see this picture all throughout that we are designed to have a relationship with God. But something got in the way. And the second principle of that is that sin separates. So in this case, in the story, we see the son. He makes the decision to leave. He has a good thing going with his dad. 
the one who gave him life, the one who's providing for him, the one who has all of the, the ability to take care of him, the son decides to leave and he makes bad decisions and he's roaming throughout this world, spending it, taking the things that his father had given him and wasting it, right? All of his gifts, his talents, whatever those things might be. He's involving himself in, in things, depraved activities, and he's harming himself. This is a mirror image of what we do as people, as human beings. In the, in the book of Romans, where the apostle Paul, again, writes a letter to the people in the city of Rome, okay? He's writing it to the church, and in the first three chapters, he talks about this. This whole concept of, of, of sin, it's like the humanity, it's not just one decision, and it's not even the decisions that each of us make on a regular basis. It's a nature that lives inside of us. It's, a, it's like a virus that infects all of humanity that causes us to think of ourselves first, to hurt other people when we're afraid, or even if we're just greedy. Like every one of us understands, I think, there's a little bit of the concept of, I didn't have to teach my children to lie, right? They just start doing it one day. That's the sinful nature inside of every one of us. And it keeps us from God. It keeps us in a relationship with God. It allows us to, to, to do our own thing, but keeps us from the ability to actually be back in that relationship that we see in the story and that the Bible teaches is wanted for us. So sin keeps us from God. We want to, even if we wanted to, there's no way for us to restore the relationship with our creator, except the third principle is that Jesus restores. So we start with the concept of we are created to be in a relationship with God, Sin separates us from God, but then Jesus restores. And this is what I love. In this passage of Scripture, it says that while he was still a far way off, he saw his son coming down the road. And so this is the picture that we get of who God is and what he, is, what he wants for us in this room and for every person in the city. People who don't know him, people who are living in blindness, who are in darkness, who are heartbroken, who are in pain, People who are out there today, I believe that this story paints a picture of Jesus looking at them still a far way off, seeing them saying, I'm coming, I'm running out to you, I'm coming after you, I'm going to save you. And this is illustrated beautifully in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Check this out. Look how it mirrors perfectly with the parable that Jesus said. It says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, that sounds a lot like while he was still a far way off, right? While he was still out there wasting his money on prostitutes, while he was still in pain. We don't know what his son looked like. Imagine for a second while the son finally gets his, his head straight and he goes, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. I'm just, I don't know. I'll be a slave in my own dad's house. It just gets me out of this place. And the father sees him out there on the, on the road. We don't know. His clothes could be tattered and ripped up. He's dirty, right? He's probably emaciated. He has no food in his body. So his ribs are probably, you know what I mean? Imagine the state that this person is in. And it says that the father looked at him and saw him a ways off. He recognized his own son that he hasn't seen in years. And he probably looks different. This is how God sees us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. That even though I was at my worst, and this is me, guys, this was me. I was at my worst. I, was, I hated God. I, I wanted nothing to do with him. I made stupid decisions in my own life. I did terrible things. I was living selfishly. I hurt so many people around me, and I blamed God for all of it. I wanted nothing to do with him, and yet his kindness continued. He kept sending people in my way to show me, your father has not forgotten about you. He loves you. Come home. Come home. Come home. 
That's the beautiful picture that we see. That while I was still a sinner, while Jared was still a sinner, while you were still a sinner, while the people in the East End are still living a life of brokenness and in sin, Christ died for them. It's beautiful. Jesus restores. And the good news is that we're not just forgiven. We're not just forgiven. We're new. And this is important because many of us have grown up in a church and you have heard about forgiveness of sin. So you go and you confess to a priest or, you know, you, you pray a hundred times to, to forgive me, God, for these things. And then we live under this banner of guilt all the time. And I'm not talking about one particular like Catholicism or, or Lutherans or any of those. I'm saying this is, unless you understand the concept of new identity, of new creation, your only option is to be like the son. The son says, you know what, it's better for me to at least go home and live as a slave. And many of us, when we say yes to Jesus, we're afraid that our father is going to go, I'll let you come home, but you're going to be in the stable. That's where you're living right? That's how we live. We feel like I'll just go home and I'll say I'm sorry and I'll grovel in the dirt and that that's better. And then we live our life there and we stop there. But that's not what we see in scripture. We actually see that the father says, no, he wraps him in a robe. The, the son comes home and says his speech, right? He's soiled. He's soaking wet. Like the illustration we said earlier, he's, he's got stains all over him. He looks horrible. And he says, Father, I'm home. Please just forgive me. Let me just come home and get, a, get in a warm house and I will work for you. You don't have to do anything. That's, that's what some of us come to God in that respect. And the father says, no, my son is home. And he says, get the, get the robe and put a ring on his finger and give him sandals to wear. Make up a hot bath for him. Let's throw a party. That is the difference between just simply forgiveness and new identity. Is that when you come to God, he looks at you and he says, you're my son and you're home. You're my daughter and you're home. You're not a failure. You're not a, you're not a person who's wasted. Yeah, like you took all the things that I gave you then and it's gone. And I don't care because you're home. That is new identity. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. I love you. I do not look at you as the past. I don't look at you. I'm not going to hold it against you. That's the concept of new identity is putting on the new clothes. And so the, the last principle is this, is reframed identity. The son came to the father with an identity of I'm a failure. I might be still called your son, but now I'm going to be like the redheaded stepson. That's what I think I'm going to be, right? That's the idea. But no, the father reframed him. He says, welcome home. You were dead, but now you're alive. You're lost, but now you're found. You're a son. Let's celebrate. Reframed identity. In Galatians chapter 3, it illustrates this perfectly, this concept of putting on the new clothes, stripping off the old and putting on the new. Galatians 3, verse 27 says this, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. I love that, clothed, like you put it on, like you are now wrapped in this. There is no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you come to Jesus, you're baptized into him, into a relationship with him. You are not a failure. You are not poor. You are not rich. You're not a male. You're not a female. You're not from America. You're not from Mexico. You're not gay. You're not straight. You are who he says you are, a loved one, a found one, a restored one. You understand? That's the picture that's painted. You're given a new identity, and it shifts everything. It changes everything because now when my friends or when my coworkers or family members who are difficult try to remind me 
Or even I'm tempted to remember the failures of my life. I go, wait a minute, that was who I was. That's not who I am anymore. And no one has the ability to tell you who you are except God because he has redeemed you. He's purchased you. He's given you forgiveness and grace. And this is why baptism and communion are so important. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this before. This is the reason that baptism and communion are such a big deal. It's all about identity. It's all about identity. Think about it this way. What is baptism? That concept of being baptized in the, in the sense of that you, you are immersed in water and then come back up out of water. Essentially what you're doing is you are saying, I am identifying in the death under the water, in the resurrection of Jesus. I'm saying, I am no longer the person that I used to be. Jesus has given me a new life. Now check this out. This is Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Again, I'm not making any of this stuff up, by the way. It's all found in the Bible. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism under the water, buried by, you know, under the water into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, so we too may walk in the newness of life. It is a beautiful symbol, a beautiful symbol of being our identity is rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says in John 3.16, it's not on the screen here, that God loved the world so much. He saw this, his sons and his daughters such a far way off that he sent Jesus Christ right, into the world to die on a cross so that none would perish and all would have everlasting life. The idea is, is that he came and paid the penalty for us, paid for our sin, wrote the check, whatever was owed for every one of us, wrote a check to cover it and said, come home, come home. That is the beauty of it. And Jesus, three days later, rises from the grave and proves that there is a new beginning for every one of us. That is the power of the gospel. And baptism is literally you and I saying, when I'm baptized, I'm saying, that's me. I'm no, I'm no longer the old, and I come up. I'm the new, a new person, new identity, new relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, I want you to know that we are commanded by Jesus to be baptized. We are commanded by Jesus, to be baptized. And we want to celebrate with you. And so if you would like to be baptized, if you never have been, even as an adult, I would encourage you, come see me, because we want to baptize you. It's something that we're going to do uh, in the near future. It's just, let's do this together. And it's a way for you to identify with the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's why baptism is important. But communion that we do on the first Sunday of every month is, is also important. And why do we do it so regularly? It's because that is the ongoing reaffirming of our identity in Christ. When we, when we drink the juice, right, and when we eat a piece of the bread, what we're saying is, is that I identify with Jesus as the one who gave his life for me. I identify with Jesus, the one who poured out his blood for me so that I would live instead of die. He is the father, the one who came out while I was a long way off, wrapped me in a robe, and he gave everything so that I could live again. That is what we're saying when we participate in communion. You see, Baptism is the initial step of you saying, I want to be known by him. I want to be known as he tells me. So we become baptized in that sense. But communion is an ongoing reaffirming of that identity, saying this is who I am now. So I encourage you to participate in that. And so to wrap this all up today, in a nice little bow, this is the big idea for today's message. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your identity 
is defined by God's decree, not by humanity's opinion. Your identity, who you are, is not determined by people or even by your own actions. Instead, when you are in Christ, it is determined by what he says about you. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. It matters what he says. The son came home and he was filled with guilt and with shame. And the father could have. The father could have said, well, son, I'm glad you're home. Get to work. And you're not going to be my son again until you earn back every amount of money that you've wasted. He could have done that. He had every right to do it, but he didn't. Instead, he chose, the father chose to cancel everything that he had done up to that point and said, you are my son. That's what matters. It doesn't matter that every person in the country that he left remembers what the son did. It doesn't matter that for the rest of his life that this son probably remembers all the things and felt guilty about it. And I imagine this story got repeated day after day after day, that every time there would be nights at the fire where the son would sit around and say, Dad, I'm so sorry. And the father goes, no, it's done. Stop. You're my son. I would do it again every day. I would do it again every day. That's the beautiful message of this story. And the beautiful message of the gospel is that your father in heaven says that you are loved. And he's come after you and he's come to grab you and to pull you home and to rescue you. And he wants the same thing for our city, for all the people who need to know him, the people who are far away from him and he's searching and he's coming. The way that we see ourselves should be defined by how he says it, not by our failures, not by our past, and certainly not by other people. And so how do we close this today? In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, instead of doing all those other things of relying on our guilt and all of our past and all that stuff, clothe yourself, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the command is to take off the dirty identity, strip it off, and instead put on the new clothes that says, I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. I have a new identity. That's why this is an essential building block of our faith, because this sets the foundation for everything else. When we understand that, now we can grow in a relationship with God and from a place of not of guilt, not out of obligation, but out of desire. Wow, thank you for bringing me home. I'm going to do everything I can to make you happy. You understand? It changes everything. So foundational. Would you stand with me? pray for you. We're going to sing a song to close this out in just a moment, but I think this is such a critical element of the gospel, of our faith. Maybe today you're here and you're saying, I don't really have a faith. I'm not a Christian. I've never met Jesus. I've never gone to church. I don't know. But what you heard this morning has touch something in your heart. If that's true, if it's possible that Jesus is real, that he is who he says he is, that God in heaven does love me, and that the things that I have done, the mistakes that I've made, the things that I'm not proud of, the labels that are put on me, the reputation that I have, all of those things, that he wants to wipe it clean so that I can become new, that sounds awesome to me. I want that. I want to give you a chance to just meet him today. 
It's not anything crazy or weird or different. All it is is the Bible just says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, that he will save you, that you will be a part of his family. That's all it is. It's, it's a heart matter. It's a, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I believe that what Pastor Jared has said today, what the Bible has said today, that the story of the parable of the lost son is, is an illustration of what God is saying to me, that I am welcome in his house. All you have to do is just say, yes, I want that. I believe in you. Make me new. And if that's what you want, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. Everybody's eyes closed. If you just want to begin that journey today, just to walk with God, to receive that grace and that forgiveness, just lift your hand up real quick. And I want to pray with you. Anybody in the room this morning, just lift your hand up. Let's all pray together out loud this morning and just make this prayer your own. Because if this is also, if this is you, you know, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Perhaps you've gone to a church, you know, that you've never really heard this. You've heard a lot about forgiveness, but never heard about heard about new creation, new identity, a relationship with God, the Father's love for you. You can reaffirm that today. You say, I thank you for it. Renew that in your heart. Make it your own prayer as well this morning. So whether this is your first time or or this is like a hundredth time for you, it doesn't matter. It's all about coming back to the Father and saying, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. I choose to serve you for the rest of my days. I want to be made whole. Let's just Say this together out loud as one family today. Jesus, I say yes to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. I'm sorry for my past. I'm sorry for ignoring you. I choose you today. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I will follow you the rest of my life. Call me a son or a daughter today. I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your eyes closed. Just close this moment before we sing a song together. Father, I thank you for it. I thank you that you have made us new. I thank you that you offer this to us. It's a good thing. Help each one of us as we move forward in our days and our weeks and our months and our years to sense that your love for us is greater than anything we could ever do or have done. Let us begin to walk in the new identity, to, in, to intentionally take off the old clothes of our, our shame and our guilt and our failures and instead to put on the new clothes of being forgiven and filled with grace. Help us to walk with you, to follow you, to know you, and to learn from you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.